open up your Bibles to Philemon, the Jamaican prophet. That is not how you pronounce it, in case you were wondering. My algebra two teacher. <laughs> really? Michael Scott. <laughs> the name of the book is Philemon. But if you were a new Christian uh, going into your eighth grade year like I was, Philemon was the name of the book. Did you really think so? Yeah, but I, that actually is a common misunderstanding about that book. A lot of people think that's how you pronounce it. You did? I remember. She said it was filament. Yeah. Wow. You guys are still looking for it? Phi Lemon. I like it. I like it. Phi Lemon. We're going to Phi Lemon, Hannah. Okay. Yeah, I realized. Oh man. This probably just isn't gonna work. I don't like this. Yeah, and it's gonna take us two weeks to get through it all. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's why, Caleb. I almost called you Ethan for some reason. That's why Caleb is Philemon Part Un, because there's going to be a dos. <laughs> you loved it there. All right, everyone open up your Bibles, Philemon, right? Everyone's got a study sheet, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Let's get this ball rolling. So you guys are really going to press me for time here. So we've been going through a little mini-series, little mini-study for... Uh, the summer just to get everyone through vacation, to get everyone back to school, although I think everyone's off from vacation. But leading up to the missions conference, just again, before we start a brand new series and then have the interruption of the unified prayer meeting and then the interruption of the missions conference, I wanted just to kind of cover something that I think just really gets our minds focused on that which God values the most. And that's what? For those of you who've been here the last two weeks. Souls. Souls of men. People. People is what he cares about. He cares about people so much that he came down here and bled for people. He cares about people so much that he chose to indwell people. He cares about people so much that he wants people to carry out his plans and purposes of his will to tell other souls about how he bled for them and wants to indwell them and to have them carry out his plans and purposes. And the cycle repeats. That's discipleship. So tonight and next week, I want to do something a little bit different for Wednesday. You know, Sundays we've been going through a different person each time. This one's going to be a two-parter, and we're going to look at Philemon, not just who he is, but more so the book as a whole. So by the time we're done next Wednesday, we will have gone through the entire book of Philemon verse by verse. Hey, how about that? Anybody here not read the book of Philemon before? Well, guess what? Now you're going to. And you'll have one more book down of your Bible that you've actually read. I didn't mean that to sound as bad as it did, but now that I think about it, it kind of actually did, kind of actually did sound really horrible, but didn't mean it as such. It's also 25 verses. It's also 25 verses, so there should be no excuse as to why you can't get through all of it. Is that a challenge? No. All right. So what's unique about the, uh, the letter of Philemon is that not only is it just one chapter, as was so evidently pointed out by many of you, 
It's 25 verses long. But when you look at the, the New Testament as a whole, and then we're going to do this when we cover uh, whatever the new uh, Wednesday night series is going to be, which I'm still not telling you guys yet. Um, but do, do me a favor. Hold your place, your finger right here, and then go all the way back to Acts chapter 8. I don't know if any of you guys have ever actually done this little doohickey that we're going to do here in a second. Just a little activity. But Acts chapter 8, holding your place in Philemon. Is it going to be verse 37? Uh, no, just Acts 8 altogether. Is everyone there? You got your place, your finger in Philemon, and then you have, you're open to... My paper is in Philemon. Okay, so here's how it should go. Maybe I should have said literally, put your finger literally in the book of literal Philemon. But if you look at this little gap, I guess you could say, of pages between Acts chapter 8 and Philemon, you know what's unique about these pages right here? Anybody want to take a guess if you've done this activity before or maybe you haven't? It's the only, very, very close. It's the only section of the Bible that is written to the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did say that. I just, I preferred my words more than <laughs> No, but look at it. This entire section that's between your two fingers here, this is everything that is written to the church. Now, one of the things we're going to learn here in, uh, as we begin how to study the Bible, there, I'll reveal that to you guys. How to study the Bible is what we're going to be covering here in the next uh, couple of Sundays after the missions conference. But one of the things you're going to learn in that class is that one of the rules or the keys to understanding the Bible, the keys to unlocking further doors in the Bible, is that if you want to know what the Bible says, you need to understand things in its proper context. And part of that context knowing is knowing what is written to you as opposed to what is written for you. Because this entire book, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it's all for you as a predominantly Gentile church. But not everything in this book is written specifically to you. That's very, very important and key to get down in your understanding of that. So really, that little... If you guys still have that, those pages pinched in your fingers there, the entire Bible is for you. But that little section there, that is the only part of your Bible that's actually addressed to you. As the church letters, the church epistles, or the time when God is working through a predominantly Gentile church. Everything else that you see in your New Testament, although there are Christians there in Hebrews and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation, even though there's Christians there, it's not written to the church age right now as you and I live and breathe. Historically, yeah, comprised of Christians. Doctrinally speaking, boy almighty, are those books going to be used huge during the tribulation period for God to speak through the Christians, quote-unquote, or the believers during that time. That's why when you read some of those books, it has a little bit of a Jewish flavor to it. Because a lot of the things that God speaks about in those books have to do with the tribulation period, a time that hasn't yet happened. But Philemon is unique in the sense that it is the last book in your New Testament that is written to a group of believers. But not only that, look along with me in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy our brother unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. 
Uh, quick question. Has anybody read a, a letter from Paul recently in your quiet time, your personal devotions? Like Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, any of those? Yeah? Do you guys notice anything different about this intro as opposed to those other books that maybe you've read recently? You could say no, it's okay. Yes, it's written directly to a person, which is getting somewhere with that. But Paul specifically leaves something out in this introduction that only ever shows, that he only leaves out in two other books throughout the rest of the New Testament. You know what it is? He doesn't address himself as an apostle here. He doesn't introduce himself with the authority that's been given to him from God. He doesn't come down and say, now, hey, you know, I'm an apostle, or uh, Paul an apostle, or called to be an apostle of God. Like, he introduces every single other letter to the other churches that he's writing to, or to the other pastors like Timothy and Titus like he's writing to. He doesn't do that here. So that, coupled with the fact that it's written specifically to a person, an individual, we see here in point number one, or letter A, I guess, rather, Paul the mediator. In point one, Paul sets a tone of humility as he begins this very personal letter. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this or pondered this or, or you know, you guys ever have like those thoughts where you're just sitting in bed. You're like, huh, I wonder if this is the case or I wonder if that happened or I can't wait to get to heaven so I can ask so-and-so, is this what really happened? I don't know if you guys ever have moments like that or not. But like, uh, what? <laughs> In the context of the Bible. I'm sure we could still ask. I'm sorry, I didn't bring that up from Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that, well, 60-40. I forgot all about that until just now. 60-40. Anywho, you had to be there. But as it pertains to, okay, when Paul was writing these letters to these churches, do you think Paul knew that what he was writing was scripture. You guys ever think that or wonder that? Like when Paul is writing this from a jail cell, do you ever think it popped in his head? Oh, I can't wait to see when God compiles this together to form the new Bible. Does that ever pop into your head? You should think about that. That'll really get you tripping and keep you up late at night sometimes. When you start thinking about that, we're like, oh, I wonder if this. Now you read in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter knew that some of the stuff that Paul wrote was going to be a part of the Bible when it was finished one day because he even calls it Scripture. Peter recognized that, but I'm sure Paul... I mean, think about it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. When Paul's writing some of these epistles, he's in a jail cell. You really think someone sitting in a jail cell writing to a church is going to think, you know, I bet God is going to compile all of my letters together one day and form a New Testament for believers to be able to read one day. Maybe some of them, but I can't imagine he thought that about all of them. And if there's one book that stands above all of the other books that Paul wrote that he probably definitely didn't think was ever going to end up in the Bible one day, I bet you it was this one. Because he's not really addressing a church. The church is going to read it, as we'll soon see. But he's addressing a very close friend of his. It's a very personal letter. 25 verses. It's essentially a text message. It's an email. That's what he's writing here. And really, as minuscule of a note as that might be, that really does speak volumes when you think about it. 
because you don't know just how much God might use something as insignificant as a text or an email that you write to impact someone else's life, whether for the good or for the negative. Keep that in mind. So Paul's writing here to his friend, but he sets a tone of humility. He doesn't even bring up the fact he's an apostle because what he's about to hit Philemon with is some pretty deep stuff and he's not going to pull the apostle card on him here. So he's setting a tone for this. It's humility. It's being humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. If you have someone who is the rule over you or the authority over you, whether it be parents, teachers, leaders, teachers at school, you submit yourselves to them because God commanded it. It's funny. why it's the, He's not doing the why stage. But every now and then he'll like we'll say something and he'll be like, um, I'm actually going to go do this instead of just asking us, can I do this instead? But he just kind of takes this tone of, I'm just going to go ahead and do this and you're going to be okay with it, right? No, God's the same way. If he says, submit yourselves to the elder, it's not up for negotiation. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. So now he goes beyond. It's not just about teachers and leaders and those that have the rule over you are supposed to be subject or, sur or surrendered and submitted to. It's each other. All of you, one to another, and be clothed with what? Humility. Why? Well, because God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Hey, do you need grace in your life to get you through the first day of school, the first week of school? Do you need grace just to get through the day with all your thoughts and all your insecurities and everything and the pressures and society and the world coming against you? I do. If you want grace, be humble because God resisteth the proud. So much so that he kicked Lucifer out of heaven because of his pride. So much so that he kicked Adam and Eve because of their pride of taking of the fruit. Pride is the root. It's the root of our sinfulness. But Paul sets that tone here. He takes it out of the control, or out of, uh, out of his authority, and sets a tone of humbleness because of what he's about to hit Philemon with. Look at verse 2. All right, we're going to need some readers here. Mad Dog, we're going to start with you in verse 2. And we're going to work our way down this way and we'll snake on back. We're just going to go up to verse 7, okay? So everyone, be ready for when your verse comes. If you need to, look on with your friend or look on with your neighbor. Verse 2, Philemon, hit it. And to our beloved Athena and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation and love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. I absolutely love this. You know what this is here? I first learned this term when I first became a salesman. This is what's known as a crap sandwich. That's not a theological term in case you're wondering. You know what a crap sandwich is? Imagine you had to go up and you had to talk with something pretty serious with somebody. And really the gist or the meat of what you wanted to talk to them about, oh, it's just negative. It's just, it's crap. 
You got to deal with some crap. You got to get some crap out of the way. You got to clear the air. You don't want to come up and say, hey, I got a beef with you. No, what you do is you have a top bun where you kind of smooth things out. You're like, hey, man, how's it going? You know what? I like that shirt. That's really, oh, is that a mess? That's, you must go to mess. Hey, can we talk about something real quick? You butter them up first, and then you hit them with what you really want to hit them with. And then you follow it up at the end with, oh, but hey, great shirt, though. I love the shirt, man. Keep wearing that shirt. It's awesome. That's called a crap sandwich. That's what you're supposed to do in the sales world to kind of, if you want to win a sale. But anywho, I don't know why that popped in my head right now, but it's kind of what Paul's doing here. Because we're going to see, Paul has something he needs to get across to Philemon that's going to be some heavy stuff. And he's just kind of talking about, man, I love you, you're my brother. Only he's not trying to smooge him like a salesman. He's being genuine. He loves him. And he's talking about his testimony, the testimony that Philemon has. Did you guys check it out in verse 2? Look again when he says, And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, Oh, and to the church in thy house. Keep in mind, in verse 2 here, this is still a part of the greeting. He's like, hey, I'm writing this letter to you, Philemon, but also to Aphia and Archippus. Oh, and uh, read this note to everybody that's in the church that's in your house, too. So everybody that's in this church would be reading this letter. And if you see it's addressed to you and you're supposed to read it out loud, and it's a letter to you about you, how would that make you feel if we had you stand up here and a letter from one of your teachers because I had asked them and called them over the last two days, hey, what kind of a student is so-and-so? Can you write me a letter that I'm going to hand to them and have them read it next Wednesday? Did he do it? Did he really do that? I don't know. What would they say about you? What's your testimony like? Because, man, can you imagine being Philemon where you're opening this, you're reading this letter? You're already distraught because of something we're going to see next week. You'll see why he's distraught. But then you read it like, okay, good. He said everything positive. All right. At least I know where my testimony stands. As you see, your testimony matters. And point two, Paul's not only addressing Philemon, but the whole church, which means every action you take, every word you speak to each other and to the lost world, you better be careful because it might come around to you. You better watch your testimony. Hold your place here and go over to Galatians chapter 2. You just might not know what kind of an eternal impact it'll have. Like this story we're about to read in Galatians chapter 2. So to set the stage of Galatians chapter 2, Paul's about ready to talk about an incident that happened in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, this is again during a transitional time when God is trying to work through his people, the Jews, but they're starting to reject him. So he starts to transition over to the Gentiles and he's got Peter, who's the apostle to the Jews because God still loves the Jews and wants them to get saved. And he's got Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. Did I say Peter, the apostle to the Jews or Gentiles? What did I say? Jews. Thank you. And yeah, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's got these two apostles, these two key leaders hitting both key groups of people. But there were still some things that were going on. There were still some details that weren't quite ironed out yet as far as our liberty in Christ, as far as what does it mean now to have Christ dwelling inside of us as opposed to the Old Testament law. And there was a lot of confusion going on in the book of Acts there. And there was a certain sect of the Jews, as I mentioned them a couple weeks ago when we were covering Timothy, I think, where they would go up to these new converts, people who had just trusted in Christ as a Savior, 
And they would say, hey, you know, you need to keep the Old Testament law, right? And they would make all of the genuine Christians scared and worried because they're like, what if he sees us eating with Gentiles? Or what if he sees us eating with unwashed hands? Are they going to freak out on us? Are we going to be in trouble? And there was a whole bunch of paranoia and really just a whole bunch of, if you heard the term legalism, it's just really making you work like a religious person when you don't have to anymore under the blood of Christ. So that's the stage here when Paul's writing in Acts chapter 2. Look with me in verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Whoa. For before that certain came from James, meaning that the Jews didn't have to follow the Old Testament law anymore, and before it was nailed down and solidified, here's what Peter did. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come these very religious Jews who wanted to throw the law in, he, Peter, withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Your testimony affects others. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou... Being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So you guys get the picture here? Peter, he's supposed to be the apostle to the Jews. He's supposed to be with the Jewish people, reaching out to them, preaching the gospel, planting seeds of the word of God, so that they can receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah and as their Lord. And there's details about the doctrine of the Bible that haven't been quite worked out yet. And that's why Paul is going to the Gentiles. Peter's going to the Jews. They don't realize that, no, when you're saved, it's the body of Christ. Jew and Gentile are now one. So Paul comes up and sees Peter's eating with some Gentiles. And Peter gets all freaked out. He gets wigged out. If anybody, I can't believe Paul saw me eating with them. And he tried to sneak around. And so Paul confronts him face to face. Keep in mind, by the way, this story of Peter getting called out by Paul is forever settled in the Word of God. And Peter, or Paul says something to Peter that's basically something like this. You know, if you being a Christian live after the manner of the lost world, why would you as a Christian persuade the lost world to live like a Christian when you yourself are acting like a lost person? That's what he basically says to him here. Because his testimony mattered. And Peter wasn't having a good testimony at this point. Your testimony matters. People are watching. Even people you wouldn't think are watching. They are. They're taking note of you. Funny story about taking Bibles to school. I remember sophomore year. It was that first year that I did for me uh, when I was uh, rededicating my life to the Lord, started walking with Christ. And I remember Mike Blake, he challenged us, man, if you're really serious about this, take it day one. Take your Bible with you the first day. And then those first four days, it just became an addiction where I'm like, man, there were so many opportunities. I got to share so much of what Christ did in my life this past summer with people. And then seriously, no joke, Friday morning, I don't know what it was, but I forgot it. I forgot my Bible at home. This was just after four days, mind you, nothing. And I remember more people noticed I didn't have it on day five than the ones who did notice that I had it the first four days. And boy, they let the jokes fly. What's God going to do to you now that you left his Bible behind? How can you be a serious Christian if you left your Bible behind? Ugh. But 
you know what? Did something to me that day. I never forgot it until graduation. The rest of the year, rest of the three years. People notice. People see every little thing. They know when you have a bad day. Your countenance will tell them whether or not Christ is really doing something in your life or not. So what does a lost world see? What do they see with who you hang out with at the lunch table? So he's not only addressing Philemon, he's addressing the whole church about Philemon's testimony. We all have a testimony. So we pick this back up. Go ahead and turn back to Philemon. So he's done with the introduction. Some key things that we could gather from that intro here. And in verse 8, follow along with me. Paul starts getting into the meat of the message here. He says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. In other words, man, I really wish we could just talk and shoot the breeze. I got to get down to business. Verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee, verse 10, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Now we get down to it. Paul says the reason he's writing is because I've ran into your runaway servant, Onesimus. Or rather, God brought him to me. It says there in verse uh, 10, whom I have begotten in my bonds. This guy Onesimus, as we find out and we'll see as the story goes on throughout the rest of this chapter, Onesimus was a servant, actually quite possibly a slave of Philemon. Again, don't think modern day think things are different back then. He was the slave or the servant of Philemon, and he ran away from, Ones or from Philemon. Onesimus did. And in his pursuit, in his thinking he's free, thinking he's away from this taskmaster Philemon, thinking he's free, he ends up in prison in Rome with none other than the Apostle Paul. And did you see what he calls him there in verse 10? I beseech thee for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten in my bonds. We see here in verse 10 that Paul, he doesn't just say, hey man, how'd you end up here? No. He strikes up a conversation with him about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he leads him to saving faith. Onesimus is now a born-again Christian because he had an encounter with someone who loved the Word of God, who loved Jesus Christ, and shared Christ with him. And now he's different. But there's a problem because his freedom was gotten through illegitimate gains. And if he wants to be submissive unto the elder, if he wants to be subject to one another, this runaway slave has to go back home. That's why Paul's writing the letter. He's writing it to let Philemon know, hey, I've got him. But he's not the same as when he ran away. He's different. I know how you feel, and I know he probably cost you some money. But we're going to work this out. 
Here you find that Philemon, not just a great letter between two dear friends, this is a great, great book and a great outline for conflict resolution amongst Christians. Because if you want to be a peculiar person, you want to be a peculiar people, there's going to be issues in life. We're fleshly beings. We're going to have fights, we're going to have issues, we're going to have problems as we're going about the work of the Lord, and even more so as we're serving the Lord, because we're going to have unseen spiritual opposition that's coming against us even more. To try to cause dissimulation, to try to cause problems and chaos from within. We have to know how to communicate with each other so that we get over the hurdles, so that we get over the humps and the speed bumps that's in the way, and we press on with our walk in service with Christ. Because this train's rolling. Camp, VBS, Mexico, discipleship relationships happening, baptisms going on, school kicking back up, taking a sword and start swinging in your... Can I say this online? In your schools. Speaking metaphorically about the Word of God, of course. Disclaimer to Apple Music. We got things going on. Don't be deceived. If you don't already have issues with somebody in this room, either in these four walls literally right now, or someone who's not within these four walls right now, but a part of this ministry, and it goes double for you listening on podcast. If you have issues now, or whether you don't, they're coming. We need to know how to resolve them biblically and quickly. And that's what this letter's about. You see, see we see here in point three that Paul the mediator, he intercedes to fill in your blank. He intercedes on behalf of the runaway slave Onesimus and his owner Philemon. A mediator is one who stands in between. He stands in the gap between two parties, two opposing parties, two conflicting parties. Someone who stands in the middle and intercedes on behalf of both. They're not partial one to the other. They are impartial because all they care about is reconciliation for the cause of Christ. That is what a mediator is. That's what an intercessor is. Ugh. We don't have the time to look at it tonight, but check out Ezekiel 22 later on tonight. All those verses. The context of that is talking about Israel and how much of a mess Israel was back in the Old Testament. Also during the time of Christ, and even right now, and even more so in the tribulation period, just how that entire land was a mess of what was going on. And the people that should have been shepherds, the people that should have been pastors of God's people, very reminiscent today, they were made profane the name of the Lord. They couldn't distinguish between the holy and the unholy. Exact same things that are going on in churches right now, left and right, on every street corner. And God says, I looked for a man to stand in the gap between the land and me, and I found no one. I found no one who was willing to be a mediator. And in this very volatile situation that could have destroyed the church in Philemon's house, Paul decides there's more at risk here than this little squabble. And if it takes me standing in the middle to set things straight, to wedge myself into this friction and this tension between two friends... 
two parties, I'm going to do it. And that's what he is here. That's why he's Paul the mediator. Next in letter B, we're going to see that he not only is he the mediator, the one who stands in between, but he's Paul the advocate. Anybody know what an advocate is? It's a term we still use today. Megan. It's like a speaker like um, that represents something? Representative, yeah. Even specifically in a courtroom setting. term advocate is actually used for a uh, what we say for a defense attorney. Someone who speaks on behalf or defends on behalf of somebody else. They're an advocate. It's someone who stands up and says, hey, I got their back. I'm going to defend them. That's what Paul's doing here. Look at me in verse 11. We already read this. But he says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Onesimus, the servant, he was unprofitable to you in the past because he ran away. He wasn't doing the job. He wasn't working. But now he's profitable. Now check out how he says this. To thee and to me because he's a fellow brother. He now values the same things I, the Apostle Paul, do. He's going to do the work Philemon, verse 12, whom I have sent again. Look, I'm sending him back to you. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. In other words, Paul had such an immense love deep down into his reins for this very person, Onesimus. Probably because he saw something similar of himself in Onesimus. Probably because he realized that just like Onesimus, we're all runaway slaves from the wealthy house owner, the wealthy householder of God the Father. We've all, like sheep, gone astray, just like this servant Onesimus has. Paul probably saw that, and he saw himself in Onesimus. And that's why he cared for him so deeply that he didn't want to just send him back, which was the right thing to do. He wanted to send him back restored with a relationship now with God the Father and hopefully a relationship with Philemon. So on your outline, we see that Onesimus winds up sharing a cell with Paul who leads him to saving faith in Christ. You know how he says there that he's profitable to thee and to me? You know why that is? Because people are very valuable to God. People are very valuable to God. You are very valuable to God. Luke 12, 7 says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how intimately God knows you. He knows everything going on. Not just the hairs on your head, but even what issues you've been struggling with this week. Maybe it is because you're going back to school, or maybe it's a little bit deeper than that because of who you're going to be around at school, because of so-and-so and how things ended with them last year, or because of maybe something that happened over the summer, and you, at least with summer you didn't have to see them, but now you're trapped in a room with them all day. He knows. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the, all the intricate details of what really is getting your insecurities, what's really gripping your fear, the things you're really battle, battling. But I love it. Look what he says next. Fear not, therefore. If I know the hairs on your head, I got everything else covered. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. The context of that passage is talking about how, you know what, a sparrow, a bird, a bird doesn't have to wonder where his food's going to come from. God just provides it. Are you not more valuable than a sparrow? 
If He provides for the birds, He's going to provide everything that you need because you're valuable to Him. You are profitable to your owner, to your master. You're valuable to Him. People are valuable to Him. I have been losing sight of that the last couple years of my walk. As this world has just gone more and more chaotic and it seems as though more and more people don't want to know Christ, don't want to care to hear anything about what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. Harvest event after harvest event after harvest event where people just don't want to hear it. They don't have time for it. I'm like, Lord, can you just come back now? Because it seems as though we're at the end where just no one wants to hear anymore. And then compound that with all the crap going on in, in politics and in our society today and how it's affecting our lives. I'm like, man, I just want to be done some days. And I keep losing sight of the fact that God cares and values people. They are profitable to Him. That's why we got to give them the goods like Paul did. we got to share Christ with them. Number two, we see that Paul comes to his defense... As he asks Philemon to humbly take the servant back. Look with me in verse 12. Where did we leave off last time with reading? Was it Jack? Walker. All right. Walker, take verse 12, and then we're going to snake our way around to end of verse 15. Starting at verse 15? No, start at verse 12. Okay. When I have sinned again, now therefore receive him that is mine vows. Whom I would have retained with me, that in my steed he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. For without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were necessity, but one. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, for that thou shouldest receive him. All right, I'm breaking loose. I'm cutting loose of the cord. I feel like I have no personality back there. All right, maybe I just don't have any personality regularly. So he comes to the defense like an advocate as he asks Philemon to humbly take back his servant. And did you notice in verse 15? He says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. In other words, hey, I'm sending him back now, but he's got a renewed mind. He's not thinking the same way anymore. He's not wanting to do you harm anymore. He's, want, he's ready and willing to work for you because now his heart's in the right place to work for you. And so now he's here. He's yours. He is your son. You take him in forever because that's how God works in the Bible. When he takes us in, he takes us in forever. He's talking about eternal security here. He will in no wise cast us out. He will not forsake us or leave us anymore. Because we won't leave him anymore. Because we'll see just how good we have it with him. Man, he said that Philemon ministered to him in his bonds. And he did it willingly. Not of necessity. So many times in our service, it can be of necessity because we have to go serve at the kids' ministry today or we have to do VBS or we have to go on this mission trip. No, God would rather us just stay home if that's the mindset we're going to have. 
He's looking for willing servants, willful, obedient servants. That's what he wants. And because Onesimus proved this, he showed this, Paul's coming to his defense. Hey, man, I'll take the hit for him. I've worked with him. I've discipled him. He's now ready to work. He's going to be good to you. He's going to be profitable to you. Can you just look past this so that we can get back to work? And point three, he asks Philemon to see past the wrongdoing and to look on Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Would you look at that? Verse 16, not now as a servant, he says. He is going to be your servant. But don't look at him as a servant. But above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. Oh, and don't miss this. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's telling him, do you see now? It's not going to be the same as when he ran away. He's different. He's not only going to work for you with the job that you've given him, but now he's also going to be a profitable minister to share the gospel and to spread the word of God to the ends of the earth. Like you, like me, we have another fellow soldier to do the work with. That's what he's telling him here. Man. And sometimes we can get so caught up in she said this to me. He wronged me here. He's just being a jerk, and I don't really care if I talk to him ever again. Yeah, I'll see him, whatever, and I can play nice in person, but I'm not going to reach out to him because who cares? He's annoying to me. We can get so caught up on these scenarios here that we forget how profitable and valuable people in this ministry are to God and how much He needs and wants to use them for His plans and purposes to accomplish His will. That includes us. That includes people listening on podcasts. Includes the people that aren't here. If there's an issue, deal with it. Learn how to communicate. Paul sat down and wrote a letter. The thing I hate about these things, and I know I've said it time and time again, it's not just these things in particular. It's just... It's the way the world is right now in the sense that we have everything we need in the drop of a hat. We have any kind, access to any kind of information like that. We have access to communicate with people like that. You realize the person you're going to text tonight, whoever they are, wherever they are, you realize you would have had to sit down like 100 years ago, 120 years ago, you had to sit down at like a table with a candle and you had to have a jar of ink, and you had a feather pen, okay, 200, 250 years ago, and you had a feather pen, and you dipped the feather pen into this ink, and you had this paper, and you had to very carefully write three letters, doggone it, dip, 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 uh, three more letters, doggone it, dip, 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 and you had to actually take time to write, I can't stand it, you. You can pound salt. You actually had to write something like that. It took time where you actually had to sit down and think through your words. And during the course of that, you'd be able to be like, do I really want to send this? 
this is going to cause more harm than good if I actually send him this letter and he's going to get it three weeks from now, even though he just lives two miles down the road. That's what things used to be like. And now things are so quick. We're, we're used to getting things so quick, so quick, so quick that it's just kind of affected our entire mindset and our entire way of life to whereas we do things so quick that we don't sit down and slow down and just think before we do things. And we will send that text message without even thinking. And we won't put an emoji so they have no idea whether we're being serious or funny or not. That's another thing that drives me insane. I had to start putting emojis in my text because of you guys. Because you guys didn't know, is he being serious? Is he not? All right, fine. Here, smiley face emojis, laugh, laugh, laugh. I came from the school of LOL was good enough. You guys made me put smiley faces in there. But do you see what I mean? Nowadays, if someone upsets you, it is so much quicker just to rattle off what you're thinking in that very moment without actually slowing down and taking the time to think, is this really going to further the cause of Christ? Or is this going to cause a division in the church? This tiny personal letter. It's a personal letter. And he has it in the Bible forever because of how important conflict resolution is amongst the body of Christ. Because there's more at stake than whatever petty issues we're going with or going through with each other. Ephesians. Whoops. 1 John chapter 2. Talking about, this is for, uh, sorry, point number 2 about Paul coming to the defense. He's an advocate just like somebody else is an advocate. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, if you fall into sin in your walk with Christ, man, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know the Bible says in Revelation that Satan, one of his names, is the accuser of the brethren. And if you cross-reference that and compare Scripture with Scripture with the book of Job, anybody read Job recently? You guys were for discipleship, weren't you? Remember how early on, what is Satan doing? He's constantly going to and fro in heaven. Oh yes, Satan has access to heaven right now as we speak. Revelation 3rd, chapter 12, one day he's going to be booted out for good, but not yet. He has access to heaven right now. And you know what he's doing every single day? Living up to his name. Being the accuser of the brethren. Going before God the Father, and just like he did Job... Oh, I've been walking up to and fro all throughout the earth. You know what I saw so-and-so do today? Did you see what they said to their own sister, supposedly in Christ? Did you see what they said to their own brother in Christ, supposedly? He just accuses constantly, nonstop, before your God, who bought you with his own blood, constantly in his face. Which, I didn't really think about this, but man... You think you have it rough with people constantly getting in your face, accusing you of things, bullying you, hounding you on things? And yet God continues to allow him. God continues to allow Satan in his presence to accuse his sons and daughters. And he just takes it patiently. Man. You know why? Because we have an advocate. Because whenever Satan starts running his mouth, Jesus Christ steps in and says, Hey, come here. I bought them with my own blood. 
these sins you accuse them of, my Father doesn't even see them because my blood is so rich and so deep that it covers every single thing they've ever done. And when you come back up here tomorrow running your mouth with something new that they've done, my blood has still covered that and my Father doesn't see it. That's what our Jesus does for us every single day and you and I don't even realize it. Because you're valuable to Him. And Paul is doing this as an advocate. And if He is our example in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be therefore followers of me as I follow the Lord, we ought to be advocates too for each other, for friends who are in division with each other. Now on to Ephesians chapter 6. Nope. Whatever. Check out Ephesians chapter 1 later. It talks about being accepted into the beloved. That's what happened to us when you and I got saved. We were accepted into the beloved. We were accepted into God's family. So often we talk about, hey, have you accepted Christ? Have you accepted Christ? And that phrase really isn't found anywhere in the Bible. Don't freak out. You can still say that phrase. But really, God accepted us when we received the gift of His Son dying on the cross as payment for our sins. And that's what he does, and that's what Paul's asking Philemon to do with Onesimus. Accept him into the beloved. So point number two as we close. The reconciling power of God's grace. The application. Letter A. And you know what? Everyone turn over to Proverbs chapter 18. We're all going to go through these together. It's all going to be in Proverbs. No more turning except for the chapters that are found within this book. But be ready. Where do we leave off? Was it Sammy? Did you read the last one or was it Mason? Mason. All right. Everywhere we're going to turn is in Proverbs. So be ready to read when I call on you. But letter A, look in your study sheet first. Paul truly is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What kind of friend are you? Now think about this. Are you approachable? Are you reliable? Can people come up to you with an issue? Or do you have a look on your face and a demeanor and a countenance and a testimony as though you don't want anyone to bother you ever again? Man, that's funny. I remember... Uh, Junior year of high school. Um, I come out from our cabin devotions at camp and I see Stephen. He was just a, a counselor at the time and something's distraught, I can tell in his heart. So I just go sit down next to him. I was like, What's up? And he's like, The two guys I have in my cabins. Because, yeah, back then there was like two, two guys to a counselor. He's like, uh, They just don't get it. He's like, I just don't know what is going to break them before they finally decide to get serious with their walk. I knew exactly who the two guys were. One was a 250-pound lineman for Northwest High School, and the other one was, uh, I believe he was the quarterback or maybe a wide receiver for Northwest, but not only for Northwest football, he was the star athlete of Northwest football. And... Uh, it was just one of those things where everybody knew that 
they didn't take their walk with God seriously, but man, did they show up every single Sunday and every single Wednesday, faithful. And I remember sitting down with Stephen, and I'm like, man, I know I, I, I want to be there for these guys. I try to tell them, like, guys, you could talk with me about anything. You know, I try to go up and be approachable to them, and I try to be, you know, uh, a friend to help them out with stuff. And Stephen tells me, he's like, yeah, it's funny. They actually said that they're intimidated by you. And I'm like, a 250-pound lineman is intimidated of me. And it was funny, you know, it was a kind of a little point of pride back then, but God soon knocked me out of that when I realized, yeah, because I kind of had this demeanor about me of being a little bit too harsh and not gracious enough with people. Um, to whereas it caused people to not want to, at least for those two guys, to be intimidated to come up to me thinking that I might just browbeat them or take my Bible and just whack them upside the head instead of just loving them graciously. I had to learn to be approachable. I had to learn to be reliable. What about you? Proverbs 18.24. Sammy, go ahead and read that. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If you want friends, you better be friendly. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And man, what a friend we have in Jesus who does stick closer than a brother. Chap jump over to chapter 16 real quick. Megan, get ready to read verse 28. What kind of friend are you? Go ahead. A whisperer. Separateth chief friends, the best of friends. You want to know how to destroy the people that are in this room? Just whisper gossip about them. Whether false or true, go ahead and whisper it to others. That will destroy and kill a youth ministry quicker than anything else. Jump over to chapter 17, verse 9. Hannah. that covereth. Yeah, sometimes people realize they're wrong and they try to hide it up because they're seeking love. They're seeking that reconciliation that Onesimus was seeking with Philemon. But if Onesimus ran away from Philemon again and repeated a matter, separateth very friends. If you burn somebody, a close friend, family member, and you make it right, and then you then proceed to do that again to them, oof, you're going to be a very lonely person the rest of your life. Look at verse 17. Go ahead, Katie. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Friend loveth at all times, no matter what the issue is between others, and a brother is born for adversity. To get people to think of the other side. There's two sides to every story. Sometimes there's going to be friction when you, when your friend is coming to you to try to say, do you know what so-and-so did or you know what they said? And you have to go like, okay, yeah, I see your side of things, but have you maybe considered that maybe you did this yourself too? And you start having some adverse effects. You start having some iron sharpening iron friction going on between the two of you. That happens. That's what a brother and a friend is for. 
to get you to think of the opposite side of the story and not just your own perspective on things because your own perspective is skewed. And we as mediators to other people, we need to see both sides of the story because Galatians 3.20, now a mediator is not a mediator of one. There's always two parties involved, if not more. If you are going to be a mediator, if you're going to be a Paul to two opposing parties, you better not take sides. You need to hear both sides of the story. And like we saw on Sunday, you need to produce a sword to see which side is the truth on. And lastly, turn over to Proverbs 27. It's always better to tell the truth. Delaney, go ahead and read verse 6. If you have a friend that is constantly telling you everything you want to hear, that's the kisses of the enemy. It's deceitful. It's just puffing you up with your own lies and vain deceit. But a real friend will tell you the truth, even if it cuts at times. And that's what Paul was doing. Actually, we'll see more how he did that next week with the rest of this chapter. Letter B. There is a difference between a meddler and a mediator. A meddler has an agenda for self-glory. A mediator has no agenda but for the Savior's glory. If you seek to reconcile two believers at odds with each other, check your motive. Look over chapter 26, verse 17. I'm going to read this. But follow along with me. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, he gets, he gets in the way of it. He's interjecting himself in a situation that really he doesn't need to be in. He belongeth not to, or with strife belongeth not to him, is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. You interject yourself in a situation you have no business doing, you're going to get bit. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, you're going to get burned. So is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am I not in sport? Hey, I'm a part of this too. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. Don't make a fire if there's no smoke, if there's no fuel for the fire. Don't create a problem if there isn't one between two people. So where there is no tail bearer, a whisperer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tail bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. That will not be tolerated here, mind you. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. If you meddle and not be a mediator, you will cause more harm than good. Verse 25, when he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. You know what you're doing? You're doing what verse 27 says. You're digging a pit and you're going to fall right in. A lying tongue, verse 28, hateth those that are affected by it, and it flattering, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. That's not what Paul was doing here. There are some issues you got to get involved. If it's between two parties that are going to be actually destroying their friendship and po possibly destroying this ministry, maybe you got to get involved or you get a leader involved if you don't feel you can handle it. That's interesting. I remember, uh, I know it's late. I'll end quick. 
maybe famous last words. Remember, I moved to, to my third house ever uh, when I was in sixth grade. Um, over by in Perry, it's called 16th Street Batting Cages. I don't know if you guys know where that is or not. Probably not. For those of you who played Little League Baseball, you probably played it there. But uh, there was this kid who lived back there. And I uh, ran into him when I was riding my bike, and we kind of became friends. He liked baseball. I liked baseball. And uh, just a really, really sweet kid. Kind of goofy, but just very, very sweet demeanor. And uh, I remember when uh, he got to high school, he kind of became popular with his, his sweet disposition, but also became a little more of a class clown and just really started to gather a lot of friends. And uh, just became, fell in with the wrong crowd, but man, everyone loved him. He was so popular and just really just embraced that whole party lifestyle and everything like that. And was completely different than when I met him in sixth grade. And I remember sophomore year when I started taking my Bible with me to school. It's so weird this happened this week, given what we're doing and what we're talking about. Um, I remember I started taking my Bible to school and he was one of the more prominent ones to make fun of me. Uh, and he would even kind of do it in his own sweet way where he would kind of like try to let me know he was joking, but yet every single day he would constantly be poking fun of me with that and, and trying to get me to stumble. And I remember witnessing to him once at the lunch table where I actually showed him, as I was still young in my faith, Revelation 17 and 18, talking about mystery Babylon the Great and how it was a picture of the Catholic Church like we talked about. Not a picture, it was the Catholic Church as we talked about in our Revelation study, and because uh, that was the church he was caught up in, and um, didn't go anywhere. And then I come to find out that just this past Saturday night, that kid committed suicide. Absolutely no signs of mental illness, no depression, nothing. Everyone who still came in or contact with him and still communicated with him, they uh, said he's like, yeah. He showed no signs of this. He's still the same kid that he was in high school. Nothing changed. We have no idea why he did this. And even though I took my Bible to school, and even though I had a witnessing opportunity with him, and I wasn't really that close with him, I just haven't been able to get it out of my head that I could have done more to be a Paul. To stand in the gap between Satan and God and to do everything I could to get him to receive Christ. But Satan won. You don't know who you're going to run into tomorrow. You don't know the impact you're going to have on their life. But you know their end. So do everything in your power to change that do everything in your power to be a mediator, to show them to the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen?